politics, pop culture, and a whole bunch of other things that start with the letter P. The Mark Harvard Podcast. Who knew that optimism could sound so sarcastic? Hey, 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 it is the Mark Harvard Podcast. My name is Mark Harvard. Otherwise, that would be awkward. Hope you had a great week so far, and I am so excited about today's podcast. Later on in the in the in the show, we're going to talk a little bit to my friend Wendy Madden. Now, Wendy uh, is is I've known her for years um, through my through my first wife Marianne. She was one of Marianne's first nurses as she uh, battled cancer over in the bone marrow transplant uh, wing over at uh, UAB Hospital. And uh, Wendy is someone that uh, over the years I've you know I've kept up with. We kept up with each other. And she um, is going to give us a little insight into, one, the hardship of being a nurse through COVID, but also how that affects your spiritual journey and how that affects your faith. That It's, it's super cool. Uh, that's going to be coming up in just a little bit. In the meantime, though, I've got a few interesting uh, things to, to share with you. Um, first off, you know, Texas has started, uh, you know, they, they've started digging themselves out. Everybody's got electricity back you know we're still dealing with some water pipes but uh texas has got uh some other issues now as people are starting to get power bills from the uh from the uh, the power companies there now now here's the thing now it's not as regulated in texas as it is in other parts of the of the country so there really are having a few surprises. Uh, one woman in this story I'm looking at, uh, Lisa Corey is her name, resident of the Houston suburb, uh, claims she was charged a total of $9,546 by uh, by the energy, Greedy Energy is the company handling her power uh, from February 1st to February 19th. Ten, like, like a $10,000 power bill. Uh, her average monthly electricity bill before February ranged from 200 to 250, according to the suit. Uh, she's actually placed a lawsuit against Gritty. It claimed that Gritty was price gouging and uh, was negligent when it failed to shield customers from excessive ele- electrical bills. So, I, what I can, how I can speak to this, because you know, this woman, you know, was on CNN. She, you know, she was trying to trump up a whole lot of. Of uh, of support for herself, and I you know I sympathize. If I got a ten thousand dollar power bill, I'm not sure I could handle it. I mean, it's like that whole the old um, what's exotic Joe Joe exotic uh, phrase. I will never financially recover from this. Yeah, that that would do it. That's good. And, it, and I get upset when we get a three hundred power bill in the middle of of the winter. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, I talked to a friend of mine. Well, actually, you know, a friend of mine. We're con- he and I were going back and forth on a uh, on a comment thread, and he lives in Texas. And he said that um, you can do one of two things. You can either go with the variable pricing or you can go with the, you know, the averaged pricing. And, and most states have something like this, you know, where you that way, you know, if you do the standardized pricing, you know exactly how much your power bill is going to be every single month. And it's an average of the last few months. And, you know, that kind of keeps her from being any big surprises. And a lot of, of people do that. But there are people that want to, you know, I guess, ride the wave, if you will. And he said that those people will have some just extraordinary power bills some months, but other months it's almost just obscene how low their power bill is because, you know, air's not running, heat's not running, you know, it's crazy low. And it eventually it all averages out. Now, it's going to take a lot to average out a $10,000 power bill, but you know what? That's the risk you, 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 you take when you decide to go up and down, up and down, up and down like that. 
when you don't get that guarantee of what your bill is going to be, that's when you end up paying based on whatever weather does. And if weather has, you know, a giant snowstorm that goes, you know, that, that freezes up everything where you're on emergency heat, if you've got power, you're on emergency heat the entire time because Texas isn't supposed to get that cold. Well, that's the risk you, you take. Now, I mean, no one saw that coming. No one did. But when you don't take those safeguards, sometimes the unexpected can happen. And that's what you've got to deal with. So it'll be interesting to see where this 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 whole thing goes, be it where this lawsuit goes, if it ends up being uh, part of it. They're not, you know, Gritty Electrical is not responding to any allegations in the lawsuit. Um, they're saying they're basically just going to take take it and see how far it goes. Um, but they're set, even they said, you know, a customer could choose a fixed plan. Their price for electricity is locked in, doesn't fluctuate with the market, you know, and it would have you know saved them from this. These people gambled and they lost. So I absolutely get it. I mean, I, I sound cold and, <laughs> pun, uh, I sound cold, but at the same time, I mean, there are things, there are risks you take when you choose to not lock things in like that. When you live a life where you, you know, you adjust, where you're purely reactive instead of proactive, you have to react to everything. And that's, that's what happens there. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. We really, I mean, I'm interested to see if that, if that actually, if that, if that accountability is actually enforced. Okay, but, but, but to, to change the subject a bit, I found this story. A friend of mine who is actually a principal here in Alabama, he posted this and shared this. And I thought, you know what? This is awesome because think back to when you were in school, you thought about the principal and depending on how good of a student you were, how well behaved you were, you either got really nervous or you, you know, you thought, hey, it's my pal, the principal. Yeah, you know, sometimes you had a really cool principal. Other times it was kind of the scary, author, you know, authoritarian person. So this is a story out of Indianapolis. Uh, using some clippers, a little bit of patience, an Indianapolis principal solved a problem by giving his middle school student a haircut when the boy wasn't feeling confident in his appearance. And it went out online, went viral. The guy got a lot of accolades. Jason Smith is the principal at Stony Brook Intermediate and Middle School in Warren Township, Indiana. An eighth grade student ended up in his office after refusing to take his hat off at school. He said, I sat down with him and asked him why, what was going on. He said he just got a haircut and didn't like the way it looked. And he thought his hairline looked a little funny. So the principal says he thought the student looked fine, but understood that when you don't like the way you look, you don't have a lot of confidence. And he wanted his kid to have confidence. So he offered to cut the student's hair if he agreed to go back to class. He said, I've been cutting hair most of my life. I played college basketball, cut my teammates' hair before games, and I've been cutting my son's hair for 17 years. So I had professional clippers and edgers at home. So I said, if I go home and I get my clippers and I line you up, will you go back to class? He said, yeah, I will. So it happened. After getting cleaned up by his principal, the student held up his end of the bargain, went back to class, got a cool haircut from the principal. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the principal said uh, that age is a time when when peer pressure is and peer acceptance is huge. So a young man, especially an African-American young man, the barbershop's a big deal in the community, looking good and representing and, and presenting yourself is huge for kids. So while a lot of people are online are saying the principal went above and beyond, Smith said he's doing exactly what he's supposed to do. 
And let me tell you this. The uh, the guy that uh, actually posted this for me, uh, my friend Alan, he's that kind of principal. He's one that goes above and beyond for his students. I've seen him. I've seen pictures. I've, I mean, I've been around him when he's had students around him. I mean, Alan is, you know, one, he's just a cool guy. But also, I've seen the kind of principal he is. And he truly loves his students, which is awesome. He's not there and, you know, resentful of, ah, these stupid kids. Ah, ah. We'll teach them a lesson. No, he's an encourager. He's someone who's always going to be that that principal that sticks up for his for his students, even when it may not be in the way that they want him to stick up for them. You know, being disciplined. <laughs> but yeah, so he's one of those, and he's super cool. So I'm I have no no question why he shared something like this because I'm sure it's something that speaks to him and how he thinks you know administration at a school should be happening. Wow. Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay. Have you heard about the one ring scam? Yeah, this is this came through uh, from Al.com uh, earlier today. Lita Gore had that. She said, let's say you're sitting at home, your phone rings just once, you don't recognize the number, but to be safe, you return the call. That's a huge mistake if you've fallen for what's known as the one ring scam. It involves a bogus call made to look like they originate from legitimate numbers it involves a call that ends after one ring in the hopes that the recipient will call back and rack up charges. Yeah, according to the FTC, if you call the number back, you risk being connected with a phone number outside the U.S., and as a result, you may wind up being charged a fee for connecting as well as a per-minute charge for as long as you stay on the phone with the scammer receiving all or some of those fees. The charges may show up in your bill as premium service, international calling... And it often appears from numbers somewhere in the U.S., including those three initial digits that resemble a U.S. area code. But scammers are able to use, are able to doctor that a little bit and use spoofing techniques to mask the actual number. So here's what the FTC advises. Don't answer or turn any calls from numbers you don't recognize. Let's be honest, I don't answer calls from numbers I do recognize. <laughs> I'm the guy that'll sit there, let the phone ring for a little bit, and then it goes to voicemail, and then I text them back. Um, anyway, but becoming before uh, calling unfamiliar numbers, check to see if the area code is in, in is international. If you don't make international calls, ask your phone company to block outgoing international calls on your line, and always be cautious. Even if a number appears to be authentic, it might not be. So if you've been uh, if you've been uh, a, a, a victim, you think you might have been a victim of this, uh, jump on the FCC's website, fcc.gov/complaints. Or jump on the uh, the call at, uh, do, at do not call .gov. That'll be uh, another way to, to help out with that. Okay, so stick around because after the break, this is pretty cool. After the break, we're going to talk with my friend Wendy Madden. Wendy, up until uh, the end of last year, Wendy was a nurse on the bone marrow transplant ward at the University of Alabama Birmingham Hospital, at UAB Hospital here in Birmingham, Alabama. And I've known Wendy for years. She was one of my first wife, Marianne's nurses, and was fantastic. Well, I mean, everybody on that unit's fantastic. But, you know, Wendy, you know, we, we, we end up with a personal relationship with Wendy. Um, she was great, and she went on to lead that unit for a long time. Uh, she recently left. She's now working in the School of Nursing there at UAB School of Nursing. And um, I talked to her a little bit, though, about what it was like being a medical professional during COVID. And especially being a frontline worker, because that unit, the bone marrow transplant unit, that's one of those units that 
they they stay clean anyway because a lot of people in that unit have uh, undergone uh, stem cell transplants. They're immunocompromised. You go through, you've got to type in an access code, and then you've got to wash your hands and then sanitize your hands. You have to walk across sticky pads to make sure no germs are on the bottoms of your feet. It's a, it's a big deal they, to, for them to keep that area clean. And that's when there wasn't a national and worldwide pandemic. So I talked to her a little bit about what it was like being a medical professional in that environment during COVID and also what that did to your faith. How did that affect your leaning on God through this? And Wendy had some great answers. That's coming up after the break, so stick around for that. It's the Mark Harvard Podcast. The Mark Harvard Podcast. You can join me on May 4th and 5th for That Church Conference. The last year, if you're a church communicator, the last year has been trying, to say the least. (laughs) And That Church Conference can help out with all kinds of ideas, all different ways. You can grow God's kingdom for your church and help reach those that need to be reached. It's a two-day online event for pastors and church leaders, and it is absolutely free. So go to that cc.com to reserve your free tickets. And here's the cool thing. Here's the, well, the extra cool thing is that I am back as a speaker for the second year in a row. I'm so excited to be back. I'm joining a, a an incredible lineup of speakers that are way smarter than I am. These are folks like Ben Stapley, uh, folks like Matt Brown, uh, Jessica Beeler, uh, Jenny Catrone. These are the folks that are leading in church communications. They know how to help your church. So make sure to plan to be there May the 4th and 5th for this two-day online event. It's That Church Conference. Get your free tickets. That's cc.com. like to welcome a brand new sponsor to the podcast. It's Old World Lumiere Candle Company. And these guys are great. You, you know, you want your home to smell good. And sometimes that's a little harder than other times, especially when you're like me. You got a four-year-old and a dog and two cats. And, uh, you know, your house is under constant construction. Um, but <laughs> these things are fantastic. We've got them in our home, and you should have them in yours. There are all kinds of different scents. There's fruity. There's fresh and floral. There's herbal and earthy candles. There's food and drink ones. Let me just go down this food and drink. Because, guys, these aren't your normal... You know, old lady candles you're going to find somewhere. You can get a candle that smells like bacon, uh, apple cider donut, banana nut bread. I've got some of the bourbon-soaked raisin ones in my house, and they smell fantastic. It doesn't hurt that I love raisins, and I'm also pretty partial to bourbon. But still, amazing scents, and you're going to find something that you, that you like. I've got the link over on the Facebook page for Old World Lumiere Candle Company. Support them and let them know that you heard about them right here on the Mark Harvard Podcast. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, MeWe, and online at markharvardcreative.com. The Mark Harvard Podcast. The Mark Harvard Podcast. Welcome back. It's the Mark Harvard Podcast. As promised, uh, this is I'm actually really excited about this. I'm welcoming an old friend to the, to the uh, show. Uh, her name is Wendy Madden. And up until the end of last year, Wendy was a nurse at UAB Hospital. I got to know Wendy through my first wife, Marianne. Um, she was one of Marianne's most treasured nurses when uh, she was there on the bone marrow transplant 
unit at UAB, uh, and since then we've been friends. And Wendy is is what I is uh, she falls into a category I've mentioned before of just good people. And so I'm so happy to have her here on on the podcast, Wendy. First off, thanks for joining. Thank you for that sweet introduction, Mark. And um, you know, I I think the world of you, and I thought the world of Marianne as well. Um, you know, both of you mean a lot to me, and I'm I'm so happy to be here and so excited that you asked me so thank you well wendy i i i started reading more and more about because details are coming out more and more about uh, just the medical side of going through lockdown going through the pandemic seeing all the covid stuff happen and um i got to thinking about what it was like for people on the front lines we've seen a few you know articles interviews here and there in like little soundbite form but i was gonna just kind of get your impression first off what it was like just on the on the surface on the um on the physical side just of the interactions you saw there at uh, at work uh that had to have been tough to go through something like that well mark in my unit had a a very unique calling to it um so we were in the process of building a brand new bone marrow transplant unit in the women's and infant center a beautiful unit we were very excited about it and had been working on it for a very long time well, when COVID hit, the hospital, of course, UAB being a mega center um, mm-hmm. or for anything, um, we were definitely called to the front line. And um, my unit in particular, we had to do something just completely crazy. And as the nurse manager of the unit, I was the leader. So um, at first, when I was first approached by this, of course, everyone wants to help, but I just had to really, really, really dig deep. Um, because what we were asked to do was to split and to use the same staffing that we had um, because there was no time to hire any additional at that point. I mean, I was mm-hmm. working on it, but they weren't here yet. Yeah, They hadn't graduated. The, the nurses I had hired to open this brand new unit that was double the size were not here yet. They had not graduated yet. So I was hiring them, but they were still in school, so we couldn't use them. Yeah. So my staff really had to stretch and work overtime and work, do things that we never imagined doing before, never in our wildest dreams. My 20-something years of nursing has it ever been this hard. Um, so we opened the new unit. We weren't supposed to open it until like June or July, and we ended up opening it at the end of January last year so that we could accommodate all of the pulmonary patients that were coming into the hospital um, that were non-COVID so that the COVID, the main MICU could handle all of the COVID. Um, So, you know, we still had our transplant patients to care for. And now we have, with the same staffing, the same number of bodies, we had to take on another ICU. And bone marrow transplant is high acuity in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning that the patients are sick and, you know, so that's, that's, and, and to do that, we like to provide very, very special care to our oncology patients, of course. And so we didn't want that or quality to fail. So it was a lot of pressure, Absolutely. a lot of pressure, a lot of yeah. pressure to lead staff through this pandemic. Plus they're scared for their own safety. I mean, we're humans and even though, you know, we're, we're nurses and, you know, we're, we're used to be around things that are kind of different than most people are used to being around. It was still very frightening. It was frightening to us mostly for yeah. uh, what if we carry hunts at home to our families or our sick parents or, you know, our elderly parents or grandparents or what have you. So, or our kids, because at that time kids were, you know, considered to be 
a very vulnerable population for this. So Absolutely. And, and, and let, me, let, me, let me jump in real terrifying. quick. Let me jump in real quick and 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 say that the bone marrow transplant unit and and you know I I know this from experience is, is one of those units that's extremely well guarded as far as germs. Yeah. It's one of those that I mean yeah. I mean to get in you had to go through like three mm-hmm. different guarded doors mm-hmm. and you know there was a code that I always forgot and and <laughs> I mean you you had to go through and it was a very <laughs> a very low patient to to nurse ratio because mm-hmm. the people were that were on that unit had you know zeroed out uh, antibodies, zeroed out uh, blood, uh, white blood cells. They, they they could not. They were all immunocompromised. Uh, so yeah. so the folks that were on that unit were used to dealing with folks that had to be kept extremely clean, extremely isolated. Mm-hmm. And, and this was under normal situations when there wasn't a global pandemic going mm-hmm. on. So yeah. just dealing with that kind of staff, that kind of environment. And having to completely just change the way you looked at everything, it had to just throw you for a loop. Oh, we were, and you know, we were terrified we were going to bring it to them. I mean, we were scared to take it home. We were scared to come to work. We were just, you know, because, um, you know, a, a bone marrow patient would be very vulnerable to COVID. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I don't want to think about what would happen if that were to, to, to happen, which it has not. Um, but we were, you know, we had to be very safe. And we're humans. We get colds. We get fevers. We get, you know, we get sniffles. Yeah. Um, and with COVID, you don't really necessarily have a temperature. Or it could be a low-grade temperature, which makes that even scarier because, you know, if you've got a 104 fever, hey, I don't go to work today. I'm sick. Mm-hmm. But if you've got a 99.9 and you've got sniffles, that could be just nothing. And you go to work and, you know, we were just terrified that we were going to give it. So we started being extra cautious before it was cool to be extra cautious. Of course, <laughs> we were wearing masks before masks were a thing. Yeah. Um, you know, we we you know, and we didn't even ask. We just went and got masks and put them on. Um, and and so yes, that was a factor trying to keep our patients safe because, as you know, as you well know, we get to know our patients so mm-hmm. well, and we we know their dogs' names, their cats' names, their grandparents' names. It, we, you know, they're part of our family. And yeah. so to keep them safe was our top priority, um, definitely. And so it was very challenging, and it still is. It's still still very challenging. And then sometimes, you know, we don't know so much about COVID. So we would get patients that had been tested. And sometimes, you know, even though our modern science is, is great, um, it's, it's still human-made, and, and there's errors. And mm-hmm. so... You know, we would get these patients, and sometimes they would test negative um, before they came up, and then we would have to retest them because they spike a fever, and then they turn out to be positive. So we would have to rush them as quickly as possible off that unit to keep everybody safe. And the hospital is very, you know, UAB hospital is very well equipped and lots of resources. So we would have people come from everywhere to help us do this. So, you know, we didn't infect anybody, but it was scary and it's challenging. You try to do everything right, but there's always room for error. And it, it, it makes it very high stress. So, and then, you know, it's already stressful. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, so Wendy, you you were uh, you were running the BMT unit, and uh, that was up until the end of the year. Now you're working over at the uh, School of Nursing now, which is yeah. awesome. I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm happy for this amazing group of. Of, uh, of folks that are going to come out under your under after having your input into their into their careers um mm-hmm. but you were there on the unit during what would be considered the most heightened time of covid 
the most yeah. mo- the time that was covered that was covered in fear and anxiety the most mm-hmm. that first lockdown that everybody uh, really didn't know what to do they were envisioning you know walking dead sort of situations um, mm-hmm. what does something like that and especially seeing that every day what does something like that do to your faith well I'll tell you um Oh gosh, Mark, it has been the most challenging time, you know, and, you know, the Bible teaches us about perseverance, reminding us that we're going to have struggles. We know we are. There's going to be challenges. Um, We should endure those, definitely, and and stay close to Him, stay focused on Him. Um, Endurance is more about how we move and navigate these challenges without giving up. Um, But there are times when we get very burnt out and we want to mm-hmm. give up and I could feel myself at times losing my focus. Um, you know, John sixteen thirty three informs us that life will bring sorrows and trials. And then Psalms tells us that, you know, he is our right hand and he will not be moved. And so, um, you know, I just try to hang on to him, to, to, to just close my eyes and hang on to him and remember that he's faithful, that he will not leave us, that he will not forsake us. And everywhere we've been, he's already been there. And everywhere we're going, he's already been there. So he's, you know, he's everywhere and he never leaves us even when we leave him. And I think that's important for us to remember that we do leave him. We forget him. We forget that he's there. Mm-hmm. He never leaves us, but we lose sight of him. And that is when we really start to fall and get burnt out and get engaged in, in the bad and we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And so, yeah, I found myself there a lot. And so did my staff. Um, but I'm just so grateful that my parents brought me up in church and I've got this strong faith that's been instilled in me um, so that I can remember that he is faithful. He will not leave us and that he never left me, even though I left side of him, he never left me. Mm-hmm. Um, I could feel times when I was weary, I was burnt out, I, my eyes weren't focused on him, and all I had to do to catch my breath was just close my eyes, refocus, and remember that he is my father, you know, he is my father, and just imagine his love, and even thinking about touching his garment, you know, just think about mm-hmm. him wrapping his arms around me and, and holding me, and then, you know, I could just catch my breath and, and move forward. But there were times that that was really very, very, very hard to do. And I know that my staff are still going through some of those times. You know, we, um, you know, the vaccine is here, but COVID is still, still very much oh, yeah. alive. So very much alive. And we don't know where it's going. We still don't know. And so um, it has just added a level of difficulty to an already very difficult profession. Um, so I think that, you know, um, as people pray for us as healthcare providers, just praying for perseverance, resiliency, endurance, um, and, and helping us remember how to refocus on God when we feel like there is no hope. I think that's how we're going to get through this. Absolutely. And, um, you know, and that's what I tried to, you know, not working in, in a faith-based organization, I had to respect that there are different kinds of faith at my hospital. So I couldn't really go out and, you know, and (laughs) um, say these things to my staff that in different kinds of ways and find a ways to love them over the last 20 years in a way that, you know, brings God into our, into our organization, but without offending anyone who has a different faith. 
um, is something that I've had to learn to do. And well, so, um, and you do that you through know. action. You do that through, you know, yeah. you, you lead yeah. by example in that thing. Maybe you don't actually get to say the words because of, of mm-hmm. you know, you know, the environment you're in. But, you know, people mm-hmm. can tell when you're a Christian. People can tell mm-hmm. when, you know, when you've got the light of Christ in you. And, you know, that and I, I you know, you see from just being around you a lot. Um, but you, you can tell those people, you know, and even, you know, in that sort of situation, um you're the people that are looked to to help, you know, that God God uses in those situations to give strength because, you know, Satan is the loudest when we're at our weakest. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that that's what, you know, that's what Satan wants is for us to be frustrated and for us to turn away and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, God uses people um, like you to actually, to, I mean, to, to, to fight that, to, to, to mm-hmm. remind people that he is still working, that he is still, you know, using us through these tough times to, uh, mm-hmm. to, to, uh, you know, to help other people. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, in oncology patients, what we do and even, and, and the pulmonary patients, they give back, they do, they mm-hmm. give back. And I think that God, you know, he uses them to encourage us because that smile they give us or that thank you or that, you know, we still have the bell that, that the patients ring <laughs> when they leave yep. when they leave the hospital, when they when they survive their transplant, and yeah. they make it and they ring that bell when they leave the unit. And, you know, there's just things that he gives us to encourage us. And it's, you know, it's, we have to, but, but, but again, our eyes have to be open to it. We have to see that that smile that that patient gave us is, is a reflection of his love for us. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, just reminding, reminding them to look for those things is, was my job and to keep them focused on, on what they were doing was making such a difference. Well, one thing I know I, I, that I remember about that unit is that that was a place where you would see a lot of very serious things happen, a very a lot of very important and heavy things happen. But, man, you would also get some amazing joy out of there at that place, too. When you you know, when someone rounded that corner and their white blood cells started going up or or got to, you know, after living there a month, they got to walk out the door. I mean, mm-hmm. you'd have some just amazing victories in that in that unit as well. So very special people working there. Yes, and, and it's still like that, you know, it's just an emotional roller coaster, the biggest <laughs> highs, the biggest lows, it's just, you know, that that, that is the Beaumere Transplant Program, um, but it's very rewarding, and, and, you know, and I love that place, I'm still going to do some work there, um, research work, and uh, definitely um, continue to help, and I may even go back and work, taking care of patients um, instead of managing the unit, because yeah. I enjoy I really, you know, get so much satisfaction out of taking care of patients because they're just so, you know, they just give back. They just give back mm-hmm. because they're, they're appreciative and, and, and you're helping them. You're making a difference in their world and you're able to love on them the way that God intended for us to do. And so um, it's, you know, it's a great job, great place. But it is a very trying time. Um, mm-hmm. We're not out yeah. of it. And, um, you know, we just have to keep our focus on him. And let him help us get through this. But there has been a lot of really good things that have come from COVID. I know that's crazy to say, but it has made us refocus on our faith and learn how to be close to him and learn how to walk through the valley, you know. Exactly. Um, 
Exactly. Yeah, Wendy, I thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate yeah, it. And for letting me do it. And we I appreciate will, it. We will absolutely be praying for everyone <laughs> that's on the front lines. And thanks for giving us that that insight, that window into yeah. what uh what they're seeing on a daily basis and uh and and what that's like on a spiritual front. I really appreciate that so much. Thank you for having me. All right. Wow. Thanks so much to Wendy Mann for joining us today. And thank you as well. If you'd like to make a comment on anything you heard today on the show, you can actually uh, join us uh, on the on the phone. We've got a, a phone number you can call, leave a voicemail for us, and we may actually bring it into the audio from it into the next podcast. 251-616-2058. It's 251-616-2058. Love to hear from you. Also, you can leave comments. You can leave all kinds of stuff through all of our social media platforms. We are on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. Just do a quick search for Mark Harvard Podcast. Uh, also on MeWe and on Instagram. Love to hear from you there. You can also email me, mark at markharvardcreative.com. Thanks for joining us this week. Don't forget, like, share, subscribe to the podcast everywhere and share with friends and leave us some reviews. That helps us with analytics. I'll see you next week. And I'm out. The Mark Harvard Podcast.